For the record, with Dan Gordon and Maya Billick on FBI Radio.
For the record, we'd like to acknowledge that right now we are broadcasting from Redfern, the heart of Indigenous and First Nations resistance in Australia, and FBI Radio is broadcasting on stolen Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend that respect to any First Nations person tuning in right now. Sovereignty was never ceded, and this always will be Aboriginal land. Today, we're kicking off the third part of our independent Australian record label showcase, and boy, was this an exciting one. Dan and I were very, very lucky to be able to speak with Jody Reagan, the manager extraordinaire behind Spinning Top, which is probably a name you maybe would have heard around the traps a bit here and there, but some of the artists that she represents, some of the biggest household names in the country, including Tame Impala, Pond, um, and that extends also now in the label form to represent Peter Bibby, Guns, Gum, basically a very small group of people in Fremantle in WA. It was very exciting to be able to speak to Jody in particular for the way that she's basically changed the face of Australian music with these few artists and Australia's hold on psych rock in particular. And so via Zoom all the way from LA, Dan and I spoke to her about how she stumbled on this group of crazy talented musicians, how she got her start in music, the ethos of Spinning Top and transitioning it from a representation company into a record label and some of the early days in particular on a band that doesn't exist anymore but started it all right here on For The Record so don't go anywhere over this next hour text in on 0409 945 945 any of your thoughts let's take it away with Jody. easiest place to start is what was the catalyst for launching Spinning Top? I had no interest in starting a label at all. That was never my intention. I am really such a manager. I I was always like a manager, managing artists and trying to help them was my whole thing. And uh, labels were very confusing to me. And sometimes I would fight with them. And sometimes, like, I don't know. I just had that like old punk ethos where it's like us (laughs) against them and like, fuck those guys, you know? but sort of managing a, a community of musicians like I do. And when Tame got so busy, that took, you know, Gum, Nicole Brook, took away Pond. Like e- everything became focused around Tame's timing. Right. Um, and all of those individuals, as you know, Kevin is the only one that writes and records in Tame Impala. So the people who were playing in his bands, who are artists I also managed, had their own solo projects or records they wanted to do or other other things and of course so many different you know they wanted to release them and uh, I was talking to people about releasing them but any other label who wanted to get interested and release them were trying to capitalize on the tame thing and it was like oh my god we're gonna sign Nicole Brook yep okay he needs to do some press he needs to do some touring when's he gonna get on phone it's like no 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 he can't do any of those things he doesn't want to do any of those things we can't do the things that you would normally do if you want a label to invest in that artist. And the and the, the guys literally were so exhausted from time, they just wanted to make their music and get it out. Yeah. And so we just had to make up a way of being able to do that for them and telling them that they didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to do any press. They didn't have to tour if they didn't want to, but we would make sure that their music was available in the world for right. everyone to buy. So that's why we made the label 
so that so we can. So it's kind of out of like almost out of necessity. Yeah, one hundred percent out of necessity. Yes, not out of any want. <laughs> it right. was a it, but it's funny because as a manager, you know, you're constantly trying to work out ways to help your artists fulfil the, their desires of of how they want to do things. So this is so so to me, it was just an, another step in management. It was like, okay, this is what they want to do. Let's work out a way that we can make help them do that. And this was, how long was that into, I guess, like working with Kevin and Nick and everyone else in that whole scene? Well, I started working with them in 2006. Yeah, that's when I met them and uh, and started managing like Mink Muscle Creek, which was the first one out of that gang. And everything sort of like came uh, from there. So that was 2006 and then the label started in 2014. So it was a lot, it was like quite a long mm. time later. Thank God. Mm. <laughs> I don't think I would have been able to do it. But like the tame, because the tame stuff, I guess it took up a lot of their time. Like it was so confusing and it was so hectic for, yeah, Jay, Nick, Kevin, Dom, and surrounds. And like I didn't have time like to even think straight. So I guess by the time 2014 came around, we actually really thought, okay, we can probably handle doing this. Let's do this for them, you know? Right. Yeah, right. So would you say that it's still very much um, everything is out of necessity? Like it doesn't seem as though you're going out of your way to find like the next big thing. You want to keep it no. very Yeah, exactly. That was, I think that was another one of the questions I thought was like, what makes us different or whatever? And that is that, is that. We're, we're not going out of our way. Like we think our artists are the next big thing still. <laughs> you know, Their third album or their fourth album or their fifth album is still the next big thing to us so we don't we don't we're pretty happy i mean it's it's funny because like i mean i love to support artists so if i did stumble across somehow an artist that we thought we would want to release i would love to do that but at the moment you know we're, we're a real family based operation there's only a you know there's three of us here there's uh, three of us in australia um and we manage and release all of those artists that you know about so we would never want to take something on that we that we couldn't devote our time to. And in this sense, we're so devoted to these artists already, we know we can fulfill what's needed. And finding like a new young artist, like the focus I think that it would take or the energy or the uh, manpower, like we just don't really have that to expand that way. I kind of love the idea of it, but we're not, we're certainly not there yet.
I told you to take it off. My flares are getting in my, my left. How, and I guess this, this is kind of like a big question to, to answer, but how important do you feel um, supporting independent labels in Australia is? Hey. What is it? Yeah, or like, or like, or, or where do you see it kind of going? Look, I think, ah, oh, there's just so many incredible, I think, I, I admire so many independent labels in Australia. You know, I think that we all work really hard. I think we've all got the same love for mm. our artists and our local talent. I also, I just, I know, because I've been out in the world a lot, how much the rest of the world looks to Australian artists as well. But oftentimes, you know, majors will overlook something that might be a little left field or a little bit difficult. It's us indie people who pick up those ones and put all the support behind those ones who are the real gems and get them out there. And I, so I think it's just like, you know, the investment that us in indie folks go into like, yeah, these really, I'm not saying anything about artists who sign to majors. I mean, God, time for such a late major. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, you know, we, 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 I think we just really invest in it in just a little bit more left field and a little bit more whatever. Um, and nurture these artists too. I think the nurturing side of an indie label is really mm -hmm. important. Um, and it's and it's there and it's ready to, you know, you see, I feel like we stick with it. Yeah. You know? So I do, I think indie, indie labels in Australia are super important and really fucking good. Really good at, get, at, at picking incredible artists and supporting them, you know? What does that mean for you as being like one of the key players in not only the spinning top story, but like in the Fremantle and Perth music scene to have been able to have completely unleashed that nationally around the world? What does that mean to you and for spinning top? Because I imagine if not for you being there, someone like Kevin Parker, the story would have been maybe a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, I'm really proud. Um, we've worked really hard. Like Perth's the most isolated city in the world. And I say we because it's not just me, you know. I have a team of people who have supported me and I've supported those incredible artists who just, you know, blew me away from the minute I saw them. But um, I feel really, really proud because we've had to work so hard. Like, you know, even just getting from Perth to Sydney yeah. or Melbourne was so hard and, and getting you know that stuff really took a lot of um sacrifice from all of us you know and we you know it wasn't obviously like just me but i'm super proud do you have any favorite memories in the label's history that you want to like rattle off quickly or you can go into as much detail as you want there's no pressure on it from ourselves it's it's funny because like um you know i've actually found the label side like much harder than the management side and I think a lot of it is like even just little things like you're getting ready to release this thing worldwide and someone doesn't flick some switch somewhere and mm. someone on Instagram's going, but I can't get it and I'm in France and you're like, fuck, and it's like midnight or two in the morning and you're trying to make sure that all the switches are flipped all around. Like it's, I think it's just been a really big learning experience and on the label side too, everything's changing so constantly. So to yeah. me, it's a, it's a constant challenge. Like, and all the favorite memories of, of course, all the music, you know, when all these, these albums come into our inbox and we're like, oh my God, 
you know, I just got a new Pond album, I just got a new Bibi album, I just got a new Gum album. Those moments are always our favourite moments. And then the rest is just really challenging. <laughs> <laughs> to be quite honest, it's, yeah. it's always the music. It's always the music. I can't, uh, you know, I can't say that we've ever had like a number one or like a, you know, some sort of crazy chart or stat in any way that has as in any memory. But it's like just really just trying to do our best for the the artist and their music, and uh, the music's the the, the, the favourite bit.
we can start with McMuscle Creek. So that's really funny. It's a really funny story because, you know, like I said, they were the first, they were the first um, and uh, very, very close to my heart. And um, they were, they were such an incredible live band and very quite difficult to capture in studio. And we'd tried doing it a bunch of times and it was hard and it was before. And I like, I remember talking to Kevin and saying like, dude, can you like, sort of produces can you do and he felt like he was going to step on toes and stuff it was weird because it was before tame became big like before tame even got signed i think tame might have still been dd dumps hmm. and um so it was just quite hard to get this this album sounding the way we wanted it capturing like the essence of what the band was and stuff then tame took off we hadn't finished this recording at all then tame took off we learned a lot of stuff um I used to work in the Norfolk basement, which is this venue. That's how I, that's how all this sort of started. But I, but the boys all used to play there. Um, I still had access to it, and so so we just decided Mink Muscle Creek. Um, we're going to go down into the Norfolk basement. It's like this little two hundred capacity venue. Actually, some stuff that Kevin recorded for the EP was on down there as well, um, and record it live. And Kevin did mix it. He produced it. Mink just smashed it out. We made that album like literally years, I don't know how many years after, easily four years after that we first started recording it, that we ended up. And then we couldn't, we had the, um, <laughs> we had the um, album release launches booked and the shows were coming up and we didn't have time to get any physical product pressed in the end because they delivered it late or whatever. And we ended up putting it on these USB wristbands and like we was literally sitting, like they had Mink Muscle Creek on them and they joined up by a USB, like it was, and um, you could buy them for $10 at the show. <laughs> and, um, and we sat there and we had to put the album, drag it on our computers onto these USBs for the show that night. <laughs> And that was a really funny story. That's probably our funniest story. Um, it even had photos on it. Like we took these hilarious photos down in the Norfolk Basin as well. There might even, was there a little video or something? I can't remember. Anyway, so that's a good little memory. And of course, like those songs were, you know, very close, like the Mink Muscle Creek story because, you know, Kevin was the drummer in that band. Like Kevin's probably my favorite drummer in the whole world. Um, Nick Albrook, you know, Shiny Joe Ryan, like these people are obviously just really special, special musicians. So that's a really special one. Gum, I mean, God, he's about to release his fifth album. That guy's unstoppable. DeLorean Highway was his first album that we were all, we were pretty blown away by. Loved it. He was always going on about DeLoreans as well, like Back to the Future and stuff. I don't know what was always going on about DeLoreans. Um, you know, great albums. And then what did you say? Was it Flush in the Pan, the other one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I think that was his third album. Um, it's, it, to be, to be like super honest, so hard for me to keep up with Gum especially and like which songs are off which albums because mm -hmm. he's just, his output is just, like this is his fifth album. I think he released his first in 2014. It's only six years it's his fifth album. It's like, dude. Yeah, I don't understand where they find all the time to do all this stuff. Oh, mate, like, cause seriously, like he's, he's also made like, so since then he's also physically and musically involved in making all of the Pond albums who have released eight, like yes. they're making their ninth right now, you know? So like, yeah, seriously, it's actually, it's hard for us to keep up to. So yeah. it's like, 
like, I'm like, I was actually Googling before. I was like, I did Lorraine. That was his first one. What year is it? Like, I don't, it's hard to um, remember even sometimes which songs were off which albums because there's just so many. And, and yeah, the output. Because then it's also, of course, the Pond albums in between all those things. Yeah. Um, and, um, but Pond, uh, Beardwise Denim is a really interesting experience because Pond hadn't had time to do anything during all the Tame stuff. And then Tame went, you know, because the first couple of years, Tame was so hectic. And then Pond, we, we, we had a clear window and we booked a tour in the States and we went to South by Southwest. And the day before we landed in Austin to go to South by Southwest, NME gave this Pond album, Beardwise, and no one knew who Pond was. No one knew what the fuck was going on. And they gave Pond nine out of 10 on NME and also said they were going to be at South by Southwest. And then people were just at our shows. Like all these press were at our shows. Like journalists were following us around every day and it was like, who is this Pond? And it was so fun and so amazing because it was just like the perfect storm. And that shit doesn't happen. Like is that yeah. what's, that's what you want to happen, but it never happens. But that's what happened to Pond in 2012. And then everyone was just like, who the fuck is this band? What are they doing? And then of course they are so incredible live because if you've seen Nick Orbrook, you know, live on stage performing oh, yeah. crowd surfing and all those things like a crazy elf. People were just like, what the fuck is going on? Um, so that was really fun. And so Beardwives Denim was really the album that just catapulted them into people's conscience. But it was funny because like I said, it was the first time we had time as well. So it was like uh-huh. this window came open and then there they were. And then every other time, like there's been no Pond release that's ever like coincided with tours or doing anything. It's just like, we're just having to do it in between whatever we can do with, with Jay being, you know, so, so involved with Tame as well.
for the thousandth time on the slide That could be the reason why I'll never get to work for Peter Bibby, who is himself a grand champion. I adore Peter Bibby. He was an artist that Nick Albrook, who played drums in his band at one point, fuck knows how he got the time to do that either. Um, he said to me, like, I'd been away for ages with Tame, and he said to me, you've got to come and see this guy. You're going to love him. And at that time, he was in a band called Fucking T. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that was with that band that he... He had this song about a chair, which I love. Anyway, I went and saw him and I was totally blown away. But I, but but Tame's Lonerism was just about to come out and I knew I wasn't going to have time to devote to this person. I was like, well, I'm just going to like have to tell him what a fan I am and then hope for the best. Like once we're over this, like getting this second album of Tame's out and like touring and stuff and if I come back... Um, and he still doesn't have like a manager and stuff and he hasn't done anything, I'll, I'll put my hand back up. And I came back and he'd moved to Melbourne and we're at the Tote and he played a show. I went to see him play a show. And by this time he disbanded fucking teeth and he was just Peter Bibby. Um, and he played a show and we sat at the Tote and we had tequila shots and that's when we decided that I was going to manage him and put out his first album, which was Butcher Hairstylist Beautician. But um, mm. then Grand Champion just took, took a long time um, he just went through a lot of personal stuff between Melbourne and moving back to Perth and there was a tumultuous relationship involved and it just took, it was, Grand Champion was hard. Yeah. It was hard for him to finish it. It was hard for us to get it out. It was actually, he's got a new one coming out too, which is very brilliant. Um, but yeah, you know, we're so emotionally connected to our artists that we go through all this shit with them, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so like, I love Grand Champion and, and like, Work for assholes and the video, and he's such a great performer. And like medicine was one of his old classic songs, um, and so I adore this album. But I know how hard it was to get him there and to get us there with him, and for us to sort of like be emotionally at the same place at the same time to release it. You know, it was yeah. it was a tough one to get there. It's also like when when I think when an artist releases an album and it's out there, it's like a real load off for them. Yeah. Cause like when it's because they make it and then there's all this bullshit that has to go on, you know, they have to like has to go and get pressed and then they have to do press and there's like a single and you have all this like stuff. But actually the album's been sitting on for a year. And I think mm. the artists get really antsy, you know, because they just really want it out. And I think there's this, this huge relief. They start getting so happy when you start like when it's getting closer and closer and like you put out a song and they're like, great. And they're, you know, and there's some cute, like good reviews and people are enjoying it and they're like, yay. And then it gets more and more and then the album's out. And it's just this huge celebration, yeah. you know. And is there any like small story to go with uh, guns? Guns. So guns uh, is another. So Cameron Avery is um, in in Tame. He wasn't part of the original gang, but he had his own gang in this other band called Growl. Um, 
who was also from, you know, Frio mm. and surrounds. And then he and, and Clint, who is from Guns, um, they are at the whole, this whole other gang who came into our gang. And um, Guns was something that Clint was doing while the, when, the, when the growl wasn't doing anything. And then when, when Cam sort of went into Tame and he couldn't do the growl anymore, that sort of broke up and became Guns Focus that we just felt like, you know, we, kept, we became really close to Clint. It was like, of course, we'll help you put this out. And, and, and Clint writes really great little, like, pop tunes. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really fun too. I mean, it was just, um, again, something that we wanted to help the family. <laughs> Because we're slowly running out of time and we don't want to keep you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's maybe wrap it on where you see the future of Spin Top going and what's coming up. Well, we, we're always trying to improve, but we actually employed a new um, head of our um, like new label manager, Christy, 
um, Christy Pinder. She used to work at um, Sydney Fest and she's she's got loads of experience, like loads and loads of experience. Met her like years ago um, in Frio as well, but now she lives in Sydney. Um, she was over here for Garth's wedding. Garth's right here. And he and I do all this together. And uh, she just said she used to work, you know, for the government. And um, she said she really wanted to get back into indie music because there's too many rules in, in working in music for, the, you know, government rules. Mm. And I was like, really interesting. Maybe we've got a job for you. And I was like, and so we, we sort of put Christy, like it was a real step in, in sort of giving legitimacy to the label side of our business, you know, because it was always been like, we just made this to help them out. And, and I don't know if I ever really thought it was going to develop or, or where we should take it. But having her now, I really feel like we're going in this direction of like how to make it better, how yeah. to serve us better how what you know because it's also all this other stuff and it's hard to have time for everything like what's tiktok and twitch and like you know what i mean like yeah. how the fuck do you keep up with that stuff and sh and like having people like focusing on all these new because that stuff happens all the time the evolution of labels and how to put music out is just is insane i think and in the pace that this new stuff is happening um so i feel like that finally we're gonna keep up and we're going to come up with stuff and that's the future of I think spinning top as a label is that we're actually we're we're really looking forward to taking into the future doing it better making mm. sure we're on top of all those things getting our artists a bit more cash you know all of that sort of thing and I think it's it's really like yeah legitimate we're just uh making it better I mean maybe we'll actually sign an artist that we don't manage someday imagine that <laughs> <laughs> that is well, it seems like it's in a really exciting space so it is it is 